Good evening, everybody. How are you? Good. I'm doing all right. Thank you. This afternoon, this evening, it's kind of afternoon, it's still sunny. We're going to be in chapter 25, beginning in verse 13 of the book of Acts, if you want to turn there. We're going to finish up 25 and go through 26 as well. Kind of an exciting section as Paul begins to defend and give off a, uh, his, or giving his defense, and, and in hearings and in trials, and you can hardly call any of them a trial because nobody has any charges yet against him. Nor can his accusers or have his accusers showed up to go right to his face, which you must do. According to Roman law, the accuser has to meet the accused. They have to be face-to-face in the courtroom, and uh, that's, that's not happened yet. Just hearsay so far, just I, you know, he said, she said kind of thing. Anyway, so Paul is appealed to Caesar. That's where we left off uh, last Wednesday. He appealed to Caesar. He was kind of tired of the runaround. He had been there for two years, living high on the hog, no doubt. But as he decided, well, we're just going to keep you a little bit longer and we're going to do something else, Paul's like, no, no, no. You know, Paul gets tired of it. I'm done with it. Um, you're not going to keep me here without any charges. You know, you don't have any charges against me. I'm I'm going to appeal to Caesar, and it's actually a very good legal move uh, for, you know, based off Roman law anyway, because in order to go to Caesar, suppose, suppose you said, you know, uh, let's say the Maryville PD, do we have any guy, no Maryville Police Department here, right? Okay, good. We'll, make, we'll use them as an example then. The, the wives don't count. Just keep it to yourself. So anyway, the Maryville PD just arrests you for no reason, throws you in jail because they don't like the way you look kind of thing. And, you know, our mayor can't figure it out. Nobody can figure it out. And, but they're going to keep you in jail because they know that keeps the peace because you're that pesky group on the outskirts of town that have loud concerts. And so we're going to put you in jail. <laughs> I wonder if they'll get any calls this Friday night. I doubt it. Anyway, <laughs> I just want to linger on that for a minute. So they put you in jail, and you can't go anywhere, and you can't do anything, but they know if they let you out, you know, there's going to be a big uproar in Maryville, and so they're going to keep you there. And you say, you know what, I'm appealing to the Supreme Court. This is it. I'm not going to the Missouri State Court, whatever else, you know, I'm going to the Supreme Court. Now, the mayor's got a problem on his hands. He doesn't have any charges. I've got to send you to the Supreme Court, and those are the guys that oversee everything else, and they're going to ask, so what are we judging here? What's the case? Well, we don't have one. We just don't like the fact that they have loud concerts on the edge of town. And that's not going to fly, and they know it. See, Paul doesn't have any charges. They don't have anything against him. They've got a bunch of witnesses is all, people that just don't like the way he looked, even though he was shaved and he was trying to be right uh, in the sight of all the uh, Jews at the time in the, in the synagogue and in the, at the, actually in the temple. Um, he was doing everything correctly. They just, Paul just rubbed him the wrong way. So I want to go to Caesar. Now you've got a problem on your hand, Festus. You've got to send charges with me. What are you going to do, Festus? And Festus doesn't know what to do. I don't have any charges. There's nothing I can do. I can't present. I have no evidence. I have no eyewitnesses. All I have is hearsay. So that's where we find him. He's stuck. He's stuck. Paul's put him in his place. Now, what's supposed to happen, and I don't know if this is what, was Paul, what Paul was thinking. Um, he's pretty smart, a lot smarter than I am, so I would imagine he was thinking, well, he's got to let me go now because um, he doesn't have anything to send me up with. But 
He waits a little bit. It says in verse 13, and that's where we pick up the story, after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. Festus is the new guy, doesn't know what to do with Paul, and uh, King Agrippa is kind of his overseer. King is a real loose term here. Caesar is still king. King Agrippa is kind of a Jewish guy they let do some stuff, basically, but still in authority over Festus in some ways. So King Agrippa shows up with Bernice, and they've come to Caesarea to greet Festus. And when they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, um, about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem, asking for a judgment against him. To them I answered, I, it is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face and has opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. When the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed, but had some questions against him about their own religion, about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters, but these matters. But when Paul appealed, uh, appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. That's my problem, um, Agrippa. Um, what am I supposed to do with this guy? I, I thought they were going to say he was throwing knives or something. Or, you know, I've got some... They just said something about some Jesus guy. Do you know who I'm talking about? He supposedly rose from the dead or something. And this is like out of my realm is what he's saying. So I wanted to send him to Jerusalem where they know all about this stuff. It has nothing to do with Rome. We, we hate dealing with this kind of stuff. But I, he didn't want to go and he, he appeals to Caesar and so help. That's basically what he's saying. You got any ideas? Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Now see, Agrippa is a Jew. He knows about Jesus. He knows about prophecy. He knows about scripture. He knows about these things. So he thinks he can help him out. Yeah, I, I bet I can figure this stuff out for you. I bet I can come up with something. So the next day, when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp. <laughs> now Agrippa's a deal. Agrippa's his name Herod is his title. Well, we have uh, congressmen, we have senators, we have presidents, we have governors, um, so on. Those are titles that we use. So Governor Branstad from Iowa, or uh, I don't know if I'm dating myself. That's the last governor I remember from Iowa. I don't know who the governor is now. Um, he's, I know he's not now. He's appointed in the, he's in the Trump administration now, isn't he? Branstad, he's part of the agriculture, right? We still got you still got him? I'm sorry. Is it, is it, okay, never mind. I really don't want to get into this. I, she should go to Iowa to be judged. Um, so we got governors and all that. And that's the idea. Herod Agrippa, Governor Agrippa, Congressman Agrippa, whatever you want to do. So that's the idea behind the Herods. Okay, so let me run through some Herods for you. Now this King Agrippa, this Herod Agrippa, his great-grandfather was the one that tried to kill baby Jesus. Okay, that's not a good heritage. Grandpa was the guy that did kill John the Baptist. That's not a good heritage. 
His dad was the one who killed James and then tried to kill Peter before Peter got out of jail. Okay? And now this guy is standing before Paul. Or Paul standing before this guy. And I think I worded it the other way, this guy standing before Paul, because to believe it or not, if you understand this, the only person on trial here is King Agrippa, Bernice, and Festus. Because we're in God's kingdom. You understand that? We're under God's authority. Um, the judge is God. The, 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 the testifier is Paul. And they're actually getting ready to be judged by God based on their decision here. So the, the tables are reversed. Paul may be the one in chains, but they're the ones in trouble. Okay? If that makes sense. So, not a good heritage. And then you got Bernice, which is actually uh, King Agrippa's sister. It's kind of a weird thing going on there, too. She's been tossed around from guy. This is her third marriage, and she's had some issues, obviously. She's been um, tainted, um, let's put, to put it mildly. So that's, that's who's in the room, okay? That's who's going to stand in judgment of Paul, is this Agrippa. So he says, tomorrow you shall hear him. That's what Festus says to him. We'll, we'll do this thing tomorrow. So the next day when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp, <laughs> I want to see a picture of these guys. I know I make fun of them, but I don't know what they look like. But I imagine they're not very attractive. This is how I see it in my mind. If you're going to make a movie out of I see them as not very attractive, and they're walking in, you know, and they're doing this, and they're doing their curtsies, you know, and everybody's going, oh, it's, you know, Bernice, you know, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's Agrippa. Um, and they're just coming in with this huge pomp and circumstance and dun, 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 you know, and the trumpets are blowing and they, it just doesn't fit. It's like a pig with the uh, lipstick on, you know, it just doesn't fit. And, uh, so I can see these folks walking in with great pomp and that's why Dr. Luke writes this. Um, it was noteworthy to say, and they came in with a lot of fanfare. It was a big deal and had entered the auditorium with the commanders of the prominent men of the city uh, at Festus's command, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. They wanted the death penalty. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death, and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. I mean, wow! <laughs> you know, I got an innocent guy here. <laughs> And I don't know what to do with him. I want to send him to Caesar with something, so we've got to figure out what... And Paul's standing there. And he's got to... This has got to be just baffling to him, surreal, as he's standing there. He's innocent, but we're going to find something now. Okay, ready? Go, Paul. Give me a break. But isn't that funny how out of our mouths sometimes we can judge ourselves? He doesn't even know he's saying it, probably. He doesn't even know how obvious it is to everybody else in the room what he's supposed to do. You mean you don't know you're supposed to let this guy go? Do you really need me to whisper that in your ear? Do you need Agrippa to tell you that? So, 
It seems unreasonable to me. And you're right, it is unreasonable to even have the guy in, in jail. Chapter 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. Now how do you prove a false accusation or unprove a false accusation? All you can say is, I didn't do it. That's my defense. It's not up to the accused to say, I didn't do it. It's up to the accusers to say that he did it. And Okay, go ahead, Paul. Say something. And this is why we have that. You know, I, I, you have the right to remain silent. Because anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. And that's what they're hoping for here. Say something stupid, Paul. Say something like, Jesus is king and more kingly than Caesar. Then we've got you. Say something like that, you know. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. That sounds a little flowery, like he's trying to get on his good side, but he's actually accurate. This King Agrippa studied the scriptures. He was known for that. Extra-biblical history tells us that he knew the prophecies. He understood about the Messiah. He knew all these things. Didn't submit, but knew these things. So Paul is accurate in in his description of this guy. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nations at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first. If they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand, and and now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our 12 tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. Paul knew he was called to the Jews first, and then to the Gentiles afterwards. All 12 tribes he was there to minister to. Everybody's there. Everybody knows it. We know that Paul was the tribe of the tribe of Benjamin. He said so in a couple other places. But all twelve tribes have this same hope in Jesus. And then I'm going to minister to the Gentiles also. And we earnestly serve God night and day, hope to attain. That's our hope. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Why is that so hard for everybody to grasp? You know. That was one of the sticking points. Uh, remember when he was on Areopolis, Areopagus, uh, Mars Hill. That's easier for an American to say. On Mars Hill, when he got to the resurrection of the dead, that's when they all said, oh, we'll hear you tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, right. People rising from the dead. They could not get their mind around that, that there was a God that could actually bring people because they'd never seen it before. You know? if you, I don't know how to... I don't want to spend too much time on this, but the, the end result, the, the point is, their gods are too small. They don't understand. If you've got a God that can create the earth and can create people out of dust and breathe life into them and take a piece out of a guy and make a woman out of it um, and then makes all the animals and makes something from nothing and you have a problem with him raising people from the dead, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't jive. Okay, you, if, you, if he can't raise people from the dead, then there's a whole lot of other things he couldn't have done also. But since he did do those things, and we all ascribe to that, all these guys believed that. They believed in creation. They believed in Genesis. 
why is it so hard, Paul says, for you to believe that you raised somebody up from the dead? Why is that difficult? Because they've never seen it. Because they've never actually witnessed what takes place. A lot like photosynthesis, you can kind of see what's going on, but you really don't understand the process or what actually is happening. How does that work? Or like a, a, a you know, caterpillar that turns into a chrysalis and then, and then liquefies itself completely. doesn't just grow wings. That's what I used to th- thought happened. The, the thing would just grow wings out of its back when I was a little kid. And they said, no, no, no. And, and this is probably gross for some of you, maybe mean to others, but we actually broke one open mid, mid-transformation. So, and it was. It was just a puddle of goo when you opened it up. Sorry. Everybody's like, oh, the poor butterfly. Well, you know, we had to know. So we cracked this thing open and smashed it. We looked inside, and there it was. It's this puddle of goo. It's like, okay, the thing doesn't shrink and grow wings. It actually liquefies completely and turns into an entirely new creature. Thus, we are new creations in Christ. We're a bunch of worms before we come Jesus, and then we get to know Christ, and we become beautiful. Okay. Sorry. So we know what happens because we saw it, but until you actually break it open mid metamorphosis, you don't know what's going on in there, and so they did. And so Paul's simply saying, look, if he raises people from the dead, I mean, why is that hard for you to believe? Everybody believes that. Everybody, I mean, everybody should be able to believe that if their God's big enough. Indeed, verse 9, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I was an enemy too, just like you guys. I hated everybody that was involved with this Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, which means he was a part of the Sanhedrin. That's a part of the Supreme Court. He was at the top, top. Um, There were 70 in the Sanhedrin, and he was one of them, which means he was married at one point. He's single in Corinthians, we know that, and so either his wife died or his wife left him when he became a Christian. We don't know which. So Paul gives us a lot of insight here in this little dissertation that he gives. And I cast for their death. I would do that. I would vote for them to die. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Remember, that's how he got knocked off his... Well, he might have been on a horse. We don't know if he was on a horse. He got knocked down, knocked to the ground. It was on the way to Damascus, the road to Damascus going all the way to Syria to persecute these Christians. He raged against them, exceedingly raged against them, he said. And he, he would cause them to blaspheme. That's got to be the hardest one for him, because you know how much he loves Jesus now. I mean, if anybody loves Jesus, it's Paul. I mean, like, madly in love with Christ, you know. To know that he had taken somebody and punished them, whipped them, beat them to the point where they denied that they loved Christ, blasphemed him and said he wasn't who he was, that must be the one that probably drives him the most insane at night, you know, begs for forgiveness, even though he knows he's covered and forgiven by Jesus' grace and mercy. He knows all that, but still, that's got to eat at him. That's got to be one of those nightmares, you know. Man, if there's anything I could take back, you know, I already counted all his dung, all my schooling, everything I did beforehand. That's the one thing I'd love to take back blaspheme, causing people to blaspheme the name of Jesus. That's, you know, and here's, here's another thing. You know, if, it, if you cause a little one to stumble, you know, you get a, Jesus goes mafia and puts a millstone around your neck and wants to throw you in the river. That's what he says. It's better that a millstone be hung around your neck if you cause one of these little ones to stumble. He's very serious about that. Talk about someone that deserved a couple millstones. You know, it would have been Paul. 
And yet Paul's forgiven. Paul's received by Christ because he's forgiven. He not only was sorry for his sins, he not only uh, wished he hadn't committed them or wished he'd gotten caught, but he repented of his sins. He turned from his sins. He changed from dark to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, and he received forgiveness for his sins from Christ. That's what's necessary for every man, woman, and child that walks the face of the earth. That has to happen. Hell is going to be full of a lot of people that were sorry they got caught, that were sorry about their sins, but did nothing about it. And I'll tell you why that's important here in a minute. Because we've got a couple in this audience that are not going to do what they need to do. They're going to come very close, but they're not going to do what they need to do. Remember last week where he was left shaking. Remember he would convict that old guy. Uh, what was his name? I forgot his name already. With Drusa Felix. Felix was shaking at the end of his conversations with Paul, convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit to the point where he was actually quaking and says, I'll hear you again on this matter at another time. He was that disturbed, that convicted, but did nothing about it. No forgiveness. No acceptance of Christ as his Lord and Savior. No turning his life over. Not going from dark to light and what I said before. And so Felix still in his sins. Just making sure I got that right. Okay. So that's where we stand here. Why are you guys so, why is it so hard to believe in the resurrection of the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things. I punished everybody. I, I, I persecuted them and I caused them to blaspheme. Um, and yet I'm forgiven, you know. Nothing can separate you from that love of God. None of the sins that you've ever committed are so bad that you can't receive that forgiveness. Even, the, even if they're embedded you know, and they're just a part of you, and that's what you're known for, you know. Um, it can be forgiven. It can be changed. Um, you can turn around and turn away from it and become some, be known for something else other than that. Paul is certainly known for this, you know, writing, the, writing in the New Testament, standing up for Jesus Christ, being beaten with many stripes over and over again, stoned. That's what he's known for now. He lives a different life completely. So important. Verse 12, while thus occupied, while I was doing all that, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And so Paul goes over his testimony again. He's sharing his conversion again. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people, as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's the scripture I was looking for, guys, right there. Look at how he breaks it down. Jesus is commissioned for Jesus and absolutely everybody in this room. Okay? 
I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, and I will send you to, first of all, open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Five things there that happens, that takes place in the testimony, in the witness, in the sharing of Christ with someone who truly believes. Their eyes get open for the first time. They can see. That's what we pray for. That's what we hope for. God, we pray that you'd open their eyes that they might see. And we do that through humility. We do that through love. We do that through patience. It takes patience to witness to somebody and to tell someone about Jesus. It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of humility so they know that you're not attacking. I'm not here to hurt your feelings. I don't want to, I don't want to win the argument. I, I, I just want to share with you what God has done with me and what he wants to do with you in all humility. You know? And when their eyes get opened, it's hard to not turn from the darkness to the light. Everybody wants that. You know, one of the scriptures I sent out today on Facebook was that one in John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, where men don't come to the light because they love the darkness. They prefer it. The light exposes. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to have a quiet time. I definitely don't want to pray out loud. That just makes me feel bad about my life and what I do and my sin. Well, it's kind of by design. And so they steer clear. Sin will keep you from this book, and this book will keep you from sin. You know, Same with prayer and fellowship and all these things. They'll keep you from sin. And sin will want to will separate you from these things. You find yourself, I don't want to read the Bible today, and I don't want to pray, and I don't want to go to church, and I don't want to do that, and this, and the other thing. Why? Why? What's going on? What have you succumb to you know what's God convicting you of and you know what he doesn't need any of those things to touch you does he I mean I can tell you from personal experience I know I don't need the Bible I do desperately but I don't need it to be convicted and I don't need you to tell me about my sin and I don't need prayer he just bugs me all day long he won't leave me alone now that I'm a Christian and I love it he's a good dad he's a good father you know You can't go on like that didn't happen, he says to me. Yes, I can. Now leave me alone. I argue with him. And yes, I argue with him sometimes. I don't mean to. I don't think I do it intentionally, but I'm there. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about it later. You know, and that's all day long until I stop. I don't know how many times I've had to do that to my kids. I'll call them up from work or something like that. Hey, buddy, you know, remember that one thing I said and I got kind of surly with you and all that? I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Will you forgive me for being, I was on, you know, come up with all the excuses, you know, I was on edge, I, what this, that, or the other thing, but I shouldn't have been like that with you. Or Jenny, my wife, I'm sorry. You know, I, I don't know why I snapped like that. I'm sorry, but I cannot go on with the rest of my day until I get that right. He won't leave me alone. Turning to the light is about the most peaceful thing that's ever, that ever happens to us. Turning towards God's forgiveness after a sin is the most wonderful, load-lifting time, you know? 
I'll carry this backpack a little longer. Why? Just turn from the darkness to the light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Not only is he sharing his testimony, he's witnessing to these guys by not witnessing to them. You see how he does that? Isn't that great? Agrippa, you know, you could receive forgiveness, and you can turn from dark to light. And he doesn't say any of that stuff. without point. He doesn't point the finger. He can just say, here's what God did with me. He told me this, that, and the other thing. And I got forgiveness of sins, and I have an inheritance with him, and I turn from darkness to light. And that causes him to say, well, that's great for you. I wonder if I could do that too. Well, yes, you can, you know. You're going to write a book on witnessing, chapter 26. This is it, you know. Verse 19. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I did it but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the regions of Judea, then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For, this reason, for these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now, why does he say that? Because that's what this guy studied. That's why this guy, he wants to put a name. When this guy reads the Old Testament, he sees Messiah, 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 Messiah. He understands all of these prophecies, all these things. He wants to put a name in there instead of Messiah. Who? is this. And Paul just led him and gave him the answer. It's Jesus. You can now get rid of that question mark in your head of who, and you can put Jesus in there. That's the Messiah. That's your Savior that you've been looking for your whole life, the one that knocked me down, the one that causes me to stand here before you right now witnessing. Now, as he thus made his defense... Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. Festus can't believe what he just said. Are, are you kidding me? Are you trying to witness to us? We're going to kill you. We're trying to find reasons to throw you to some lions or put you on a cross, you know. Uh, and you're telling us about our salvation and what we need to do? Are you mad? And Paul says, I am not mad, most noble Felix or Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. It's reasonable what I've just shared with you. I think that's the most breath or not, uh, it's a breath of fresh air for those who have heard people tell them, you know, you just need to believe on Jesus. And that's all they ever got. Why? Because you do. That's God's way of salvation. Believe on Jesus. Goodbye. You know, and they walk away. Okay. To, to be able to reason with them, you know. But this is reasonable. If there is a God, then he's absolutely perfect. He has to be. Because if he's not perfect, then he's going to make a mistake sometime. And we're all toast. So we have to agree on that first and foremost. That if there's a being outside of time and space, he has to be perfect or we're in trouble. Agreed. Well, if he's perfect, he's perfectly just, which means everything has to be just so. And he can't change based on his good feelings each day, whether he had his coffee or not. He judges 
equally to everybody. So every sin has an equal punishment, correct? Well, yeah, that makes sense. You can't have a corrupt just or corrupt judge. That would make him imperfect. That would cause him to make a mistake and the whole thing would fall apart. Okay, I got that. He's a perfect judge. So then I've sinned and you've sinned. He's got a standard and he's got a set of laws that he's written. This is, this is what perfection looks like. It looks just like me. And if you don't look just like me, then you're imperfect and you deserve a judgment, right? Well, yeah, I guess that's reasonable. Yeah, right. So then if we've sinned and I've sinned and you've sinned, then we have a judgment waiting for us, don't we? Well, yeah, I guess we do, you know? Yeah, so, and is he gonna, is he gonna just say, well, because it's you, Bob, and I like you, we're just gonna wink at that sin. No, he's gonna judge you fairly, even though he loves you, even though he may like you, Bob. Well, that's right, he's gonna judge me. What do I do about that? Good news. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross instead of you. The punishment that you had coming to you because of your sins, he placed on his own son instead, and he's decided to give you forgiveness and mercy, and he's decided to place his wrath upon his son. He did that for you, and that's what Jesus died on the cross for. All you have to do is believe that, just to believe on that. Boy, dude, that's great. That's great news. I'll take that pardon. If he's handing out pardons, I'll take one. That's right. You know, it's reasonable. And so that's, that's why Paul says that. It's a reasonable thing. I'm not mad. What we're talking about is reasonable. Verse 26, For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. You know all about Jesus. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. That's a swing and a miss, guys. Almost. You almost got saved. You almost avoided judgment. You almost avoided hell. You almost got to go to heaven. You almost made it. It doesn't count, does it? It's not good enough. I went to church. I owned a Bible. I got baptized. That's the same as almost. Did you turn from dark to light? Have you received the forgiveness from Jesus Christ? Have you believed on him for your salvation? Have you gone all the way or is it just almost? Hell will be full of almost. It's so important to take people all the way. Well, I understand God, and me and God have an understanding. He knows, what I, he knows how I feel about myself. He knows that I've sinned, and I, I wish I hadn't also. That's almost. But what have you done about it? You, there is no other name by which man can be saved other than through Jesus Christ. He is the only way. He is the only truth. He's the only light. He's the only salvation is through Jesus if you haven't called upon him, it's almost. Every other religion in the world is almost. Christianity is the one that's all the way. They have the propitiation for the sin. We're the only ones with the sacrifice. We're the only ones with the forgiveness. Everybody else is still trying to outdo their bad works with good works, and it doesn't work. It's almost. You almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, oh, would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. I don't wish these chains on anybody is the idea. Here's the thing. You know who all's in the room with all that pomp? 
You got Roman soldiers in there. You've got the key, you've got the three main characters here. Big deal. This place is packed with people. And Paul just stopped from looking at those three. And you know what Bernice is doing? She's picking her nails. Are we done yet? I want another piece of cake. You know, you could just see her. And there they are. They're supposed to be in charge. And all of a sudden, everybody's looking at Paul feeling like, you know what? I know there's only one person in charge in this whole room, and it's Paul. Everybody's convicted. Everybody's feeling this. Everybody knows what the answer needs to be. Everybody knows they're almost. Everybody does. And as Paul stands there as an ugly little man, that's how he's described, an ugly little Jewish guy with chains on, a hooked nose, and a prisoner nonetheless, He's in charge. He's got the gospel. The king of the universe is on his side, is with him. And he's ministering to all these people. Every Roman guard's got to be going, usually I zone off, you know. Usually I tune out. They're all tuned in. Everybody there. And so you can see Paul in the middle of that. I would, not only you, but also all who hear me today. You could just see him just spinning around with these chains, except for these chains. I don't want anybody to have these on. And everybody's got to be saying, you know what? You're the only one in this room that shouldn't have chains on, Paul. What a great, wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall there for that? When he had said these things, the king stood up, as well as the governor and Bernice. I don't know why I say her name like that. That's mean. And those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, this man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. I doubt that, personally. Some say that that was a mistake, that Paul appealed to Caesar, that he lost his temper, then he got himself into bigger, hot, you know, more hot water than and he would have been. I don't think that guy ever had any intentions of letting him go. And if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, he'd be rotten in that jail. He would have never had this audience, this opportunity. That's my opinion. Because God told him that he was not only going to be here, but he's also going to Rome, and he's not there yet. Now he is. Now he's on his way to Rome because he appealed to Caesar. So I think they're wrong. He should have been set free. That's probably a better way to word it. This man should have been set free, but we didn't. And we should have. It's all us. You know, it's nobody else but our fault. Anyway, that's where we leave off tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Paul. Thank you for his boldness. I don't know if I'd be able to do that, God. I guess I would because I'd be filled with your spirit, and I know I'm not supposed to worry about what I would say when I'm in front of kings or anybody else, that your Holy Spirit will give us the words to speak in those times, and I have to just trust that and believe that. I'm so glad that uh, Luke wrote this down, that we got to be kind of a witness to what Paul did in front of all these important people in about the most humble position he could be in, it was his trial, it was his hearing anyway, where they were going to try to drum up charges on him. He ends up witnessing to everybody in the crowd, God, that's awesome. And I, I humbly pray that we would, each one of us in our own way, get opportunities like this, God. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to thrust myself into those places, making you have to step up and give me the right words to say, but God, if, you would, if it's your will and you want to find us in those places, if you want to put us into those situations, would you, would you do that? Would you use us, God, that we might be able to give out the gospel with such clarity, boldness, and with such love and humility that uh, well, we don't pray they'd almost, that, that they would come to know you through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the power of your word, God. 
We thank you for um, your Holy Spirit speaking through Paul. We thank you for Paul's obedience. What a great example. We don't worship men, but we do, uh, we do follow godly men. And uh, Lord, we definitely have a great example here for us of someone who's a, an excellent follower of yours. And so we pray for opportunities even this week, Lord, to share the gospel, to be bold. And I pray that we would open our mouths and say what we need to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.